We are starting a new sermon series, and it is on listening to the prophets. And I know that we are now really into the prophets because we have our first prophet trading card. So you can take these. These will be highly collectible. Or, as I suggested in one service, do you remember, kids, when we were little and we used to put baseball cards in the spokes of our bicycles? That is not what these are for. These will give you the picture of a prophet from an from a older um, perspective, so usually middle ages artist, give you a little information on the prophet and a Bible passage. And we're going to have one each week because this is sort of unusual. We're going to hear some people that you are familiar with, and you're probably going to hear some that you've never heard of or haven't really ever thought about. And we're going to see what these different prophets can say to us. In this series, I already shared last week that there's some things we need to learn about biblical prophets. They foretell, but they also foretell, meaning they can predict the future. There's things that are clearly looking to the future, but the vast majority of what they do is they talk to us in our lives to tell us how to change and make adjustments to our lives. 25% of the Bible is prophetic literature, and 25% of the Bible does not tell you something about predicting the future. It tells how we should live. It's, it's messages like Isaiah or Jeremiah or J Jesus and, and sharing these messages and how we need to change and transform our lives. They also do two things. They comfort the afflicted, and they afflict us when we're comfortable, meaning that a prophet doesn't pile it on us, but a prophet helps us during times when we go through tough times. So during the time of September 11th, the prophets were not telling us all the bad things about ourselves and all the things we needed to change, but giving us hope and comfort. Same thing is true in your life today. When you go through a tough time, you don't need somebody to pile it on. You need somebody to give you assurance that everything will be okay and that God is faithful and that God will be with you and God will get you through. But they also do afflict us when we're comfortable. They remind us of how we should live and, and they prod us to make those changes. But ultimately, biblical prophets and all voices that we listen to need to pass the Jesus test. And we talked about the Jesus test last week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Prophets, true prophets, help us love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus didn't say, and on that rests all the law. He said, on that rests all the law and the prophets. So as we hear voices that tell us to be hateful or divisive, we know that's not a prophet of God. When we hear a prophet that expands our understanding of loving our neighbor and how we can do God's work in our world and bring about reconciliation and help people come to Christ and trust God and put their lives and wills under the care of God, we know that those also become the voices we hear because they become like the biblical prophets. Twenty years ago, yesterday, and especially today, things were pretty messed up in our country. Amen? I put on Facebook the simple question, give me some words that describe 9-11 to you. And I had people give me these words. Panic. Sadness. Loss. Vulnerable. Pain. Regret. Devastation. Those certainly are a summary of what a lot of people were going through and went through. But that's not just about September 11th, is it? That's about any time we face something really troubling and struggling in our life. Any time we face a real painful, awful situation in our life, we get to that place. And that's why this morning I am starting with Hannah. You see, there's no chronology into how we're looking at biblical prophets. We're trying to pick ones that make a sense according to the week that we're in. And for Hannah, her life seemed pretty 
unfair and messed up. The same words that people used for 9-11, I bet if you shared them with Hannah, she would say, yeah, that pretty much depicts how I get up out of bed some days. You see, Hannah lived about 3,400 years ago. It's a long time ago. And she lived in a world in which life was very different than it was today. She was married to a man named Elkanah, but Elkanah had two wives. So she was one of the two wives. The other wife was Penina. The Bible tells us that in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And in this life that she lived, Penina had children, but Hannah didn't. And so for her as a woman, living in that time, that was like the worst thing that she could be facing. And to make matters worse, Penina started putting her down and ridiculing her and making fun of her and saying awful things to her. Let's be honest, folks. Have we ever had a Penina in our life? Somebody who piles it on, somebody who makes it worse. That's not a prophet. Penina is not the prophet. And yet, in the midst of all of that, she was able to do what she could do. She goes to the temple, and every time she has an opportunity to go to the temple, she goes to the temple and she prays, and she continues to have faith, and she continues to trust God, and she continues to know that God has a plan and a purpose for her life. And so she gives us words that help us as we think about things like remembering September 11th, but also words that help us any time that we go through those times in our life, and we will. We will all face tough times. We will all face things that we don't want to face. And we'll say, how can I get through this? Is God giving me more than I can handle? And then we go to our pastor and we say, Pastor Stan, find me that Bible verse that says, God doesn't give me more than I can handle. And I say, good luck, it's not in the Bible. Those are just words that people have kind of put together and said and became a popular saying. And at times we do feel overwhelmed. And how do we keep going? Because life does not need to overwhelm us. And it didn't for Hannah. And yes, she predicts the future. She does. And we're going to see that at the very end of the sermon. We're not going to start with that, but we're going to see at the end how her prophet stature also lets us see something that came later. But what is Hannah's word for us? What does this woman from 3,400 years ago have to teach us of how to face our lives today, and especially when we go through tough times? And it begins with a word that I hope you embrace. It's called resilience. I love that word. Resilience. We all need to be resilient. As Christians, as family members, as people facing difficult times, as people who question, where is God in the midst of all of this? Can I have an amen? We need a little more resilience in our life. Amen? As a church, we need to be resilient. We're learning to be resilient. Listen in chapter 1 about Hannah's resilience. We're told that her ri rival, that's Penina, that's his other wife of Elkanah, verse 6, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went year by year as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Do you hear what's happening? Hannah can't have a child, and this other woman's going, ah, what, are you going to, what are you going to the temple for? Didn't you do that last time? Didn't do you any good then. What do you think is going to do you any good this time? And Hannah would faithfully go to the temple. And Penina would say, you don't understand it. God obviously doesn't bless you. Look at me. I've got a great family. You don't have a family. And that could have overwhelmed and devastated Hannah, but it didn't. Therefore, however, Hannah wept and wouldn't eat and 
Don't you hear those emotions of what she's facing? Wow, life is tough. <laughs> and she had her feelings. You see, having faith and being resilient doesn't mean we run away from our feelings. We have to deal with our feelings. We have to be able to be honest about who we are. Yes, life was unfair for Hannah, and Penina taunted her. And then, guys, she had a typical husband who wanted to fix everything. And good old Elkanah comes on in, and he says to her in verse 8, her husband Elkanah, typical man that he is, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Guy can't deal with emotions, can he? How dare you, honey, be crying? And I love his next line. Aren't I better than ten sons? <laughs> what do you need kids for? You got me. Yeah, guys. Yeah, we do it too. So now life is really interesting for her. She's going through a tough time. Somebody's ridiculing her, and somebody else is telling her that her emotions aren't even legitimate. Her feelings don't matter. But verses 11 through 16... She did what she could do. She prayed. She didn't have all the options. She couldn't go on Google and look for a fertility clinic up in Boston. She couldn't go and look for a support group that she could get on Zoom and talk to people. All she had is an option, is the same option we have, and no matter what else we do, we can always have this also as part of our life. She faithfully went to the temple and prayed, and she would go to the temple and she'd pray, and she'd go in and she'd pray, and it'd be like coming to the church and saying, you know, there's nothing else I can do today, but I'm going to trust God, going to give my life to him, and I'm going to go and have a prayer and get on with my life. In verses 11, 16, she bowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look at the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall even touch his head. And then she continued praying before the Lord. And Eli, now Eli's a priest, so you can kind of think of Pastor Sam sitting down there, down in his office, and somebody's in here praying and being very distraught, and Eli comes walking in, like standing at the door looking over what's going on. And he observed her. Hannah was speaking in her heart, and her lips moved, but her voice was not to be heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was a drunken woman. And the good old priest gave the words that you should never approach somebody with. If somebody comes into your church, you do not start this way, but Eli did. How long have you been drunk? Pour out your wine. But Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have not drunk either wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. I love that Hannah was comfortable enough to just speak up. She didn't have to. She could have been a, a woman who was just defeated and it just life had treated her wrong, and so she turns herself into a victim. She could have put her eyes down and she could have walked out the back. But instead, she looked up and she said, no. No, I'm here to pray. I have a right to be here in the temple and pray, and I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm praying. I haven't drunk anything. I'm not a, a woman doing whatever you think I'm doing. I'm literally just here because I have something in my heart that really matters. And then, verses 17, Eli answered her and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel will grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then the woman went out, and she ate, and her faith was no longer sad. 
This was a resilient woman who, in verse 7, we're told she had nothing to eat. And now, simply because she's gone and she's prayed and she said, I need some kind of a sign to know that something's going to change, the priest said, I actually believe God's going to answer your prayer. And she went to McDonald's and she had a Big Mac. And she said, grace be to God. The Lord cares about me. I don't have to sit around and feel bad because I trust and I know and God is going to get me through this. How do we develop that kind of faith in our life? To be resilient, to be able to face difficulties, do what we can, offer our prayers to God, and really not care what anybody else says and be comfortable speaking up if somebody says something to us and say, wait a second, that's not what's going on. Let me tell you what's really going on. And that takes us back to 9-11. There was uncertainty and fear in our nation. And intuitively, people knew what they needed to do. And so people started to come back to church. In fact, a woman from my last church reminded me as I put the little thing up about 9-11, she reminded me that that Sunday after September 11th is when I met her because she came back to church and got active in the church. And she said, I found my forever church home. People knew that. They needed faith. They needed God to get them through. And so a few years later, Regina and David and Todd and I were all at Creation Festival in Pennsylvania. And Michael W. Smith, we were there. He was going to be the headliner that evening. And he got up just nothing more than a keyboard. And he told the story of his worship album. He said, we didn't plan it this way. He said, my worship album, Michael W. Smith Worship, is now the best-selling Christian album of all time. It just was amazing how many people bought it and how it's touched and blessed people. He said it happened to come out on September 11, 2001. It was a Tuesday. That, that's when albums were released. And he said on that day, this album came out. And people, like David said, literally went to the store. They go to a Walmart, and that's the story he tells. You can Google it. It's out there all over the place of why this happened that way. People went to the store, and they said, I just need something to help me be resilient, to get me back to what matters. And clerks would say, I don't know. A lot of people are buying this album. Why don't you try this? And people started listening. And the music that we're hearing today became very popular music because it all touched our soul, and it reminded us that God is with us. Breathe. Get back to the heart of worship. Trust God. That's what makes us resilient. That's what Hannah had learned in her life without a CD player. And without Google, she just knew that she needed God and she needed to trust God, and she did. We are our best when we learn from Hannah. The resilience is not a blind acceptance of something that's wrong. That is not what resilience is. Resilience is a positive trust in God when we do the right things. Amen? Hear the difference. It is not just blindly accepting everybody else doing the wrong thing and saying there's nothing I can do about it. It's making the positive changes, doing what we can, and having faith and being positive. Columbia University in New York City, Dr. Bonanno, professor there, decided to study the effects of September 11th. And he first thought that what he was going to be studying is just how it negatively impacted people's lives. And then he came across all kinds of people who were able to get through it, who had lost family members, who should, by maybe popular thought, be suffering severe PTSD, but in reality had really gotten their lives together and been able to move on. And so he did his work studying them. How do people become so resilient? And this was his conclusion. 
He said if we shift our focus from what we expect to go wrong to what actually goes right, we begin to understand just what makes us resilient. That's what Hannah did. She quit focusing on the negative voices or what her husband was saying or what the problem was. She did what she could, and she heard somebody who said, hey, young woman, I actually think God's going to answer your prayer. And she goes, I'm going to hold on to that, and I'm going to claim that, and I'm going to live my life according to that because that's all I have. We have so much in our life that we can hold on to that's positive and good in the midst of things that are difficult. We can trust God. We can give him our concerns, and we learn to be like Hannah. She did what she did, and she trusted God. That's a message of resilience for all of us. When things are going bad, when things are in a difficult place, we need to find out what can I do? What is my part here? And now I need to trust God that things are going to get better because I'm not going to go through life with a negative faith and a belief that everything's going to just fall apart and life isn't going to be good. I'm not going to do that. And I invite you not to do it either. It's not how God wants us to live. Hannah learned the secret. That's why she's our prophetess of September 11th. And in learning to be resilient, she also shares with us what it means to be right-sized. I say that because an awful lot of Christians are wrong-sized, that we think we're the great I am and more important than we are or not important at all, and neither one is true. And so in chapter 2, when we get to her poem, her, her prophetic words, she says these words, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Did you hear how she got right-sized before God? She didn't carry the burdens of the world on herself. She didn't say, I have to figure it all out, and I have to fix it all, and I have to make it all happen. She said, I am who I am, and God is who God is, and I need to find my place in God's family. And when I do that, and I exalt in God, and I see God is a rock and, and my Savior, I'm going to be okay. My heart exalts God. I speak up in front of my enemies. I don't just shut my voice and walk away and act like, I agree with everybody else. I speak up, she said, because my thoughts are anchored in God. That's why I've always liked the image of the royal throne room to think about our lives. So if you think you're in a king's palace here and there was a big throne here and think of this as our life and we get to choose where we want to be in this throne room and a lot of us say, well, that's easy. I'll go sit on the throne. I'll be the king or queen of my own life. I'll make all my decisions. I'll figure it out for myself. I don't need anybody else. And I usually say, well, how's that working for you? Hannah had learned to live differently. She took herself off the throne, put God on her throne, on the throne. We talk about putting Jesus on the throne. And now she lived equivalent. In relationship, part of God's family. Trusting in God, letting him make the decisions he needed and guidance in her life, but trusting that he knew better than her, but he could do for her what she couldn't do for herself. I was a young pastor, and I was in a clergy group. Now, you got to know, as a young pastor, I had a whopping big church, 25 people. We had so much money, we couldn't afford to heat the church building, so we met in the basement of the church. And I was invited to a clergy group. And I saw those pastors' churches. They had multiple staff 
parishes. They had big salaries. I did a calculation at that time. I was the lowest paid pastor in the New England or the Southern New England Conference of the Methodist Church. I took great pride in that because I thought all I can do is go up. <laughs> Can't stay there forever. And I'm at a meeting, and it's over in Weston, and it's in one of the pastor's houses, and the pastor had been a district superintendent, and the DS was there, and all these pastors were there, and they all had an opinion, and they all kept saying the same thing, and they all acted like everybody agreed with them, and I finally spoke up, and I said, actually, can I say something? I don't see it like that. I disagree. And I said, I understand that people have different opinions and see things differently, but let me explain to you why I believe what I believe. I made a lot of friends that day. I have a book in my office. I checked it out that a friend of mine wrote to me, and he put a note in there about appreciating a friend who didn't always have to agree with him but could be honest about what I believed but do it in a manner in which I realized and I said, everybody doesn't need to see the world how I do. But, you know, when we live under God, you and I will know how to have our honest opinions, and we won't have to get angry, and we won't have to get defensive, and we won't have to put people down. Amen? When we live honestly under God, we don't have to shame everybody else and put them down. That's called insecurity. It's confidence when we can have our opinions and know who we are, like Hannah did. She teaches us to live the same way about living and speaking up without being insecure and combative. She has the four Fs. She was fear, firm, fair, frank, and friendly in her life. Or as I like to say, say what you mean, mean what you say, but don't mean when you say it. Wow, could Christians learn from that? It's okay to be who we are and to have our honest opinions and truthfully live before God and have our convictions and speak up for them and to talk to them honestly, but we don't, in the process, have to become a panina, putting everybody else down, nor do we have to be the person who... Eli thought he found that day who gets shamed and just cowers down and walks away. We can be Hannah and speak up and say, this is what I believe and this is what's going on and let me tell you why I'm where I am. And then we get people like Eli who gain respect and say things like she had said to her, you know, God's going to answer your prayer. When God is in his rightful place in our lives, we have confidence. You hear that? When God is in the rightful place in your life, you'll have confidence. When you think you've got to call all the shots, you've got to convince everybody else what you're thinking. When you think you're running the show, when I think I'm running the show, I have to tell everybody else what to do. And I have to carry that burden all myself. And I'm never told I have to carry that burden as a Christian. But when you and I put God in his rightful place in our life, when we literally allow God to be on the throne and honestly answer and live the way that God wants us to live, we no longer have to worry about convincing anybody of anything because putting God in the throne also realizes it's the Holy Spirit who's working in everybody else's life, not me. I'm not the Father, I'm not the Son, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, and neither are you. And so we put God there, and then we can live with confidence. Now, I like to say that every great sermon, but I will tell you, I don't know if this is a good or a bad sermon. It's a sermon. So maybe it's every sermon has a story about North Dakota in it. And if you've heard this story before, because I do like this story, it's okay. You watch TV reruns. Why not hear a sermon illustration again? 
Years ago, I was a kid growing up in a little town of 492 people, and the big news around North Dakota was the new West Acres Mall was going in two miles west of Fargo on a dirt road. So you got to drive a dirt road and go out, and there's this big, beautiful new mall just like they had in the cities, like being in Minneapolis, St. Paul, or Boston. And I was all excited because I was going to get to go see that mall. And I did. I went with my parents, and my parents gave me a little bit of money, and I walked around the mall and walked into every store. I saw a big Delandrecies. Wow, this is cool. And a Sears. They had a Sears store. Remember those? Those are from a generations ago. They had all kinds of cool things that I saw that day. And as I walked around, I walked into this one little store that was tiny. It was probably no more than this section right up here of the altar. It was called Stabo. And I walked in. And there was nobody in there but a woman who was back there. And they said they were a Norwegian import company. And I thought to myself, well, this store is not going to make it. And I walked out and kept going. Two years later, that store was still there. Ten years later, that store was still there. Twenty years later, the store was there, only now it was a little bit bigger. And a few years ago, I traveled back to Fargo. And Nastabo was about the size of this room here. It was huge. It was a big Norwegian import store. And I went in that day and I said, I'd like to talk to the owner of this store. And they said, oh, she's in the back room. So she came out. And I said, hi, my name is Stan. I grew up in North Dakota. I live in Massachusetts. I remember the day this mall was built and your store was just a little tiny store. She said, yeah, I was just a little girl at the time. I said, OK. How did this store make it? She said, easy. My mom started this store. And my dad owned the mall. We got better than a God who owns West Acres Mall. We get to put the God, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, on, this, on the throne of our lives and learn to be like Hannah, to face the things in life and learn to be resilient and learn to speak up because we don't have to worry. We serve God. Amen? It's how God wants us to live our lives. And when we discover that we can be resilient and right-sized, we start finding God's purpose and plan for our life, which is what Hannah found, which is righteousness, to live the right way. Now, the Bible teaches us that righteousness and justice are the same thing, same word. Righteous means how we individually live, and just is how we live together in a community. So as a pastor, I want to live a righteous life, but I want our church to be a just church where people are treated with kindness and dignity and have opportunities to get involved and that nobody has a tier where somebody's in and somebody else is out, but we all can learn to be a community together. That's justice. The other's righteousness. Justice then gets taken into our communities, into our world, into our country, so that we live in ways as Christians and we bring it into our world so people are treated with dignity and respect and people can live and can live the way God wants us to live and that's what Hannah testifies to in her poem verses 3 through 10 God weighs our actions she says the bows of the mighty are broken but the feeble bind on strength those who are hungry have ceased to be hungry she has borne many children seven the one who is barren. The Lord makes the poor rich. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with the princes. You see, she didn't say, God hates the princes. 
She says, God takes those who are struggling and poor and brings them all up to the same level. She concludes her poem that says, The adversaries of the Lord will be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his kings and exalt the horn of his anointed. Yes, she's talking here about how we personally live and how we live together. And when we face things like September 11th, we needed to personally be resilient and right-sized before God, but together we need to be able to make decisions. And that's always true in our life. Families need to be making righteous and just decisions. Churches, communities, and that's God's desire for us. Her images are amazing. God judges human actions. You have no idea how many times I go back and I remind myself of that. I don't need to be everybody's judge. God's a judge. And if I think that things are unfair, I can trust God because God's going to sort it out. But I want to be on the side of being the righteous and fair person. I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. God shatters the weapons of the oppressors. God lifts those who are in need out of the ash heap. You see, when we're living the way we should be living before God, our lives start to be part of that solution. And if we find ourselves nothing more than making things worse, maybe we need to take a step back and say, God, what am I doing here? Help me make this world a better place. Help me work to improve situations. Those very words of God bringing people out of the ash heap got me back thinking about a trip that I took with the youth from Faith Community Church, Plymouth United Methodist Church at the time, about 10 years ago. And we took the kids to Nicaragua. And in Nicaragua, one day we were there and I asked the guide who was over the program in Managua if we could take the kids to see the Managua dump. Because I knew it's considered one of the seven worst places in the world where people live. And I thought it'd be good for us as Americans and some of our young people whose parents had said, you know, one of the things I really hope our kids get out of this is a real sense of gratitude for what they have and a realization of how much struggle and pain there can be in this world. And we drove through the Managua Trump where fires were burning and trash was all over the place and people had houses. And little kids were playing in the middle of the Managua Trump. And the only people who work there are missionaries who go in and share the love of Christ. The whole mission that goes in there and shares God's love and every single person here is a person of value and worth. And I realized in something like that, we can stand back and we can say, that is wrong. People should not have to live like that. There's got to be a better way to live. And that's what Hannah presents to us. The idea that God wants us to be on the side of helping and doing things to make the world better or making situations better. So that when families are going through tough times, we don't pile it on someone else. We sit and say, how can I be a voice of compassion and reason and help and be a God's comfort and healing as a solution is found? Same thing in our community, same thing in our world. Hannah is an ultimate compassionate prophet. A woman who's gone through and faced life struggles and wants us to know that God can get us through if we trust him. We can learn to be resilient no matter what life brings our way. We simply need to be right-sized before God 
and realize that God's working for righteousness and justice in our world. And that brings me to the last thing I want to say about Hannah. What did she predict? Did any of you figure out what she predicted? Mary, the mother of our Savior. I guarantee you Mary knew her story. Because think of all the similarities. They were both faithful servants. They both listened to God and God's word. Hannah listens to Eli. Mary listens to the angel. They both overcame their fear. Be not afraid, Mary was told. Both born pretty important children. And then why do I absolutely know that these are all predictions of Mary? And Mary would say absolutely, because Mary knew this story so well. Go check out Luke chapter 1. Go read her Magnificat. Go read her prayer. She takes right from the images of her probably favorite Old Testament character, Hannah. And she quotes her and talks the same way about God's justice and God's righteousness and God's lifting us up and trusting in God. The mother of our Savior learned from this woman how to live her life. There's a lot in there for how we should. We will face struggles, folks. Life will not always seem fair, and there will be times when we will face uncertainties and things like we did 20 years ago, or maybe you are today. But God wants to get us through the right way. Not by blindly turning an eye to things and saying, I'm going to be in denial. Not by thinking that we have to carry all the burdens of the world and convince everybody of everything and just become part of the noise of people who are out fighting and arguing. But learn to trust God. Put him in his rightful place in our lives and learn to speak with confidence. Learn that we serve the God who owns more than West Acres Mall. A God who loves us and cares for us, who gave his son for us. And when we face things that are difficult and we... Say, how do I manage this? We do like Hannah. We do what we can, and we keep moving forward, and we pray, and we trust God. We have options of things that we can do that Hannah couldn't have done. And she had an opportunity to get in the car or an Uber and go to Boston and go to a fertility clinic. She would have been the first in line. She didn't have that option. If she had other things that she could have done to make her life better, she would have. But she did what she could in her life, and she trusted God, and she knew it would be okay, and she gives us the way in which we want to live our lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to learn from Hannah. Help us to embrace her story and to know how you would have us to live our lives. We don't know what today or tomorrow brings, and we may be facing something that we just don't know how we're going to get through today, but help us know that as long as we live for you, trust in you, make the right decisions, move forward, be faithful, put ourselves in our right place, that you can do beyond anything we could imagine because you are God. We know that she had a child and she had more children. And we know that Samuel is one of the most important people in the Old Testament who made way for the first king, he anointed the first two kings of Israel. What a life she lived and what a legacy she leaves us. In Christ's name we pray.